Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company. A big shout out to my Patreon sponsors. You can sign up to sponsor the podcast by logging on to patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. Sign up for the price of a cafe con leche per month. It helps keep the podcast alive and ad free. And a very special shout out to my new Patreon sponsors this week, Eleanor and Jennifer. Thank you for your kindness. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, a pilgrimage in Europe. And I guess the most famous Camino is what's called the Camino Francais. And it winds from saint jean pied de port to Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain. And as I said, the Camino is a pilgrimage. It's walked by pilgrims. It's a sacred journey full of inspiration. It's full of discovery. And you'll watch sunsets and sunrises. And if you haven't been one to capture sunrises and sunsets in the past, you'll realize the joy you've been missing out on. How can I ever forget? The Spanish sunrise, the Spanish sunset. The Camino is also full of surprises. You'll turn a corner and see a friend you met just weeks ago and you thought were days ahead. What a surprise. And you'll open the door of an albergue to find an exquisite home or maybe a magic garden. You'll find yourself singing in the evening, maybe singing amid strangers who've become friends by the end of the song. You'll find yourself singing to yourself as you walk the step-by-step rhythm providing the metronome of your journey. We're all so busy, we're all so rushed. Our contemporary lifestyle has increased in pace considerably over the last few generations. You only have to look back at old pictures of a simpler time. Things look surreal. They're all in sepia. They're kind of so much slower. And here we are racing at a million miles an hour. We're hustling and muscling and striving. And this news out of the Middle East this last week or so has been a wake-up call for all of us. Life is so valuable. So why not take the time to make the most of it? The Camino is a good place to start. Khalil Gibran said, Music is the language of the spirit. It opens the secret to life, bringing peace, abolishing strife. Well, I spent the weekend with a friend who is dying. He has cancer. He's 53. Three of us took our instruments up to visit him eight hours north of Sydney. We hired a house, set up and played music with him for three days. Music is the language of the spirit. It opens the secret of life, bringing peace, abolishing strife. So given what we've all been through this last week or so, we could use a little more music in our lives. Well, there's a very special musical element to this week's episode, so make sure you stay until the end of the podcast. I was lucky enough a few weeks ago to see a link to a short film about the Camino. I watched it and I loved it. It's called We Walk From Here. It's written and directed by an American pilgrim, Matthew Krauss. And Matthew's on the line from Florida. Welcome, pilgrim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll talk about We Walk From Here in a little while. Why don't you first tell us a little bit about yourself, Matthew? Well, I am uh, 60 years old and I work in corporate travel been in travel through a big chunk of my life and it's my passion been to over about almost 50 countries uh my passions are of course the camino which is a relatively new relatively new passion but a big movie geek um love david bowie (laughs) love to read i also write i've won a couple awards for writing that's pretty much me in a nutshell fantastic yeah 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 (laughs) 
I'm going to go right back because the short film touches on it. But tell us about your childhood. You felt like you didn't quite fit in your family and you kind of rebelled as, as well. Tell us that story. Yeah, I didn't feel like I fit. Uh, you know, I was born with a couple birth defects, one of them being uh, a left eye, which affected my uh, depth perception. And I became very awkward. Uh, I had a father who was very much a man's man. He was a good man, but very much a man's man. He loved to hunt, fish, do all those outdoor things. He played football and basketball when he was in college. And both my brothers took right after him. And then I was the third one, the the weak one, the small one with the goofy left eye who couldn't walk straight, you know, as a kid. And, um, you know, I just really felt like I was uh, an afterthought. I found out years later they really wanted a third child, and mom had uh, some complications. And actually, between my middle brother and me, she had two miscarriages. So the reason I'm so far from my brothers, they're two years apart, they wanted us all really close together. So they basically worked really hard to bring me into the world. But as a child, I didn't know that. So, I mean, they kept trying until had, they had me. So yeah. I just felt like I was a mistake. I didn't realize oh. how much I was wanted as a kid. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That is true. That is true wanting, isn't it? To keep trying. Yeah. How amazing. I spoke in the introduction about a generation or two ago being that slower, simpler time. What do you remember of growing up in that America? You know, everything crazy in the world seems sort of like outside, well outside. I grew up in a tiny, not a tiny, well, about 8,000 people, uh-huh. small town in the middle of Kansas. And uh, my life looked a little bit like, I don't know if you're familiar with the American uh, comedy Leave It to Beaver from way back when, but it of looked kind of like that. And, uh, you know, wasn't aware. One thing I learned as I got older is right outside of our little town was a missile silo. Uh, and so we would have been one of the targets or that's where we would have launched missiles if we'd ever gone into nuclear war with Russia. Uh, that There were missile silos all over Kansas. But in the little town, there was this facade. Everybody knew everybody's name. So anything you saw in the news was, wasn't was real because it wasn't in, wasn't in your backyard. So, you know, you just kind of went outside and played, walked to the movie theater because it was a safe town. And you know, that was a very simple time yeah, for yeah. as complex as the world was. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A much simpler time. Certainly that's how I remember the 70s. Everything was much, much simpler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then again, when you think about it, there was a lot of complex global po- politics occurring at the time. It was, it was really quite a, a, a landmark decade. Tell us about the movie Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I went to that movie because uh, a, a woman I was dating at the time wanted me to see it. She loved it. She had a crush on Kevin Costner. And... Of course, it's magical. I didn't like baseball at the time. I really didn't get what I was supposed to like about this movie. But I think what I responded to was this idea that there's magic. Uh, somebody, for instance, at the festival, you know, I won an award. And when people keep started treating me like I was something special, I said, I'm just an old guy who believes in magic. At the time, I liked the idea of Field of Dreams, that there was magic so close we could hear it if we just got quiet enough to listen and it would guide us 
and we wouldn't realize what it was taking us to until the very end when uh, Ray Kinsella meets his uh, the spirit of his father and gets to play a game of catch with him. You know, and and every man in the house was crying, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know that was profound. And I realized there is a relationship with my father that my father craved. Uh, he'd had it with the other two boys. He craved that same relationship with me. I mean, one of Ray Kinsella's uh, great res- great uh, regrets is that when he and his father became estranged, his father wanted to play catch with him, and he wouldn't play catch. So that's why he gets to uh, play catch with his dad at the end to sort of make amends for that. And I realized my father probably had a desire for a certain relationship with me and I wasn't able to provide it. And uh, it kind of broke my heart. So I thought I need to figure out how I can give dad that because he was always there to bail me out, always. And so that movie... That's one of the movies that changed my life, yeah. I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Your dad was always there to bail you out. And you changed not only your relationship with your father, you changed your entire life as a result of seeking and wanting that better connection with your father. How did you do it? How did you how did you find that inner commitment, that inner strength? It would have been a big gig. Well, it took a few years. I mean, I saw his field of dreams in 1989 and then it was five years before I was able to quit for good. I tried several quit. I was, you know, an alcoholic and an addict and I tried many times, uh, you know, getting arrested didn't help, didn't do it. You know, you think all these things would motivate you, but when you have an addiction, nothing can motivate you. What really motivated me. And it's interesting. I listened to, uh, Andrew McCarthy, the actor, he's also sober. Yeah. Uh, and he recently walked the Camino with his son and yeah. wrote a book about it. Mm. But he, he said what it was was he just had one night where he was getting ready to do a bunch of drugs and get drunk, and he heard a voice in his head say, do what you want, Andrew, I'm tired. <laughs> kind of like his, like God saying, I'm tired of you know, whatever. Or he thought maybe it was his body. He didn't know what it was. But for me, it was just... A moment, you know, I had everything go bad and then I would always bounce back. Dad would bail me out. And then there was just one night I went out for my, a friend of mine was getting married, bachelor party, and everything went right that evening. You know, I was, I was, you know, really in a good place, charming people, the life of the party, you know, the women were there, you know, all that was right. And the next morning I woke up and I felt as empty as ever. And it was actually one of the best partying nights of my life. And I drove back to my house and I couldn't figure out why I felt so empty, you know, and um, I opened a, a magazine, saw an advertisement about an athlete here in America who just had all these great accomplishments and uh, and it said, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> it was the bottom of, of the ad. And I was an atheist at the, the time. So I, But I got on my knees and I said, I don't believe in you, but if you're there, I need help. Something told me to pick up a phone and call a 12-step program and crawled into that room and there were people there to help just one day at a time. Uh, you know, they'd say, don't drink today, meet me tomorrow, and don't drink between now and then, and slowly put in together a week and then a month and life slowly getting better <laughs> you know wow and so 
that was it was a decision you made because you wanted to reclaim your life pretty much pretty much that was it yeah how long has that been now that was april of 1994 so it's wow. been 29 and a half years i guess wow you could say. that's awesome and is it easier today yeah is it easier to stay clean and sober today than it was 29 years ago uh, well, I, I go to the program. I help others who are trying to stay sober. So that's you have to keep doing the work, working a program of sobriety and helping others. That's kind of like if you have if you have term a, a terminal illness, unless you take your medicine, it's sort of like that. If I stop doing that, crazy thoughts come back, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. What a fantastic achievement. Twenty nine and a half years clean. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, so the interesting thing, um, I'm quite keen myself to walk the 88 temples walk in Japan. And I wrote to the, the people that the, the township there, and they sent me this fantastic package. And one of the words in there is Gaijin. And when your movie came up, the short film, and we'll talk about it in, in a minute came up, it was the sober Gaijin productions. And I was like, sober Gaijin, what is that? It's like sober tourist sober foreigner what is that <laughs> it's, it's foreigner i believe it can mean other things a friend of mine who speaks japanese says it can also mean barbarian but <laughs> oh oh okay but years ago my wife and i were yeah we were looking into moving to japan to teach for a while and as we were looking into that i wanted to reach out and find 12-step program meetings so i would have a have that there and i reached out and i created an email uh sober gaijin uh, basically meaning uh, I'm sober. That's why I'm seeking sobriety meetings. Gaijin, because I will be a foreigner there. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Or, you know, and it just sort of stuck. So that became sober Gaijin concepts. I say concepts because it's another word for productions. And I'm always producing something that's not necessarily a production. Like I'm writing. Sometimes I tinker with music. I see you're a musician yourself. So... There you go, uh, Sober Gaijin. Yeah, you talked there about music, and we'll get to music in a second, but movies are, are clearly a big part of your life. Um, tell us about making movies, because the short film that we're about to, to talk about and the reason that you're here is we the, the film called We Walk From Here. It's uh, on YouTube, and it's absolutely sensational. Have movies always been a big part of your life? Oh, yeah. I always had a dream of making them, even went to L.A. and tried to write for a while but and won a couple awards out there doing that you know but uh just the politics of los angeles and the industry sort of killed my spirit so i i stayed away from that um movies what i find with really good movies is they they're kind of, i don't know if you've ever seen the movie hurricane uh oh, the yeah. hurricane about mm -hmm. reuben carter he's they have a line in there you don't pick a book, a book picks you. And I think movies are the same way. They tend to show up in my life anyway, certain movies right when I right when I need to see them. You know, Field of Dreams did. <laughs> the Way obviously did. Uh, there was a movie called, oh, Doctor Strange in the uh, MCU, the Marvel, Marvel movies. Doctor Strange was one of those movies that for me, it was more than just another comic book movie. It has a lot of wisdom and a very powerful message about letting go of yourself and putting others first. And, you know, and that was 
a message I needed to hear because I was in a really weird state at the time. And then recently I saw a horror movie called Infinity Pool that the real message of that movie was um, one of the messages I got from that movie was this character who was very weak and did not know how to be a man for his husband, for people. And I had gone through a lot of that myself, you know, retreating from what my father stood for and then suddenly getting sober and realizing, I don't know what it takes to be a man. I need to learn these things. And, and watching this movie reminded me of that, you know, so I find the best movies, the ones that resonate and stay with me are those that seem to be telling me something, Mm. um, some message that I need to hear at that point. Then there's just those silly movies you watch for fun. Yeah. You mentioned earlier your father and and the reconciliation that took some years to come, um, and then you I think you said in the short film that you had mm-hmm. a, had a twenty twenty years then um, after after reconciling you you had a couple of decades with him. Tell us about your father and that reconciliation because that must have been quite something to not only re- almost re- reconcile yeah. but also it was as a result of your hard work that that, that made that possible. That must have even been more rewarding. Yeah. The effort effort was initially to make a form a relationship with my father. And then I found out that doing the work, life just presented all these wonderful rewards. Uh, I became a better worker. I became, you know, I was more successful in my job and in my life. And uh, my wife came into my life. You know, I just a lot of just little wonderful coincidences started happening by doing the work. But the best part was I, I became a friend to my dad and we sort of started our relationship when I was 31, uh, where it should have, we went through the things that we should have gone through when I was a child. He hit him teaching me about baseball. You know, that's the sort of thing in America that the dad takes his son to the ballpark to teach him about the game. You know, that was something I had to do as an adult, you know, and, Little things like that. Yeah. Going on hikes with him, you know, and things like that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Although I didn't like walking at the time. No, that, <laughs> no, that's right. You mentioned that in the film, which is fantastic. So we're here to, we're here to talk about your award-winning short film, We Walk From Here. There's a, a great transformation in you in the film. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but you begin walking in a beanie that says Rebel Rebel. And then as you go on, this transformation begins. You're then wearing a beanie with the yin-yang symbol on it. And I thought it was a great symbol of your pilgrimage. You kind of changed, didn't you, over the course of the walk? I fell in love with the yin-yang symbol several years ago. I had seen, it was actually one of the few times I traveled without my wife. It was the first time I had ever taken a, a solo trip anywhere and I had listened to a podcast, and uh, Jordan Peterson has repeated this perception, but a person said the yin-yang is not good and evil, it's not darkness and light. Darkness is chaos, and the light side is order. Order, he said, is just when we do things where we can predict the outcome. Chaos is when we do things where we cannot predict the outcome. And the best place to stand is in the middle. You must have the groundedness of order, but you must also be open to the new experience of chaos. And that was, that was something. So I actually have that uh, yin and yang tattooed on my shoulder (laughs) because of that, that was that just resonated. Yeah. But that profound statement that could perfectly apply to the Camino, couldn't it? 
<laughs> well, yeah, actually. <laughs> and that was that trip when I heard that podcast was the trip. Um, it, it, it was four years after my father had died or three years after he had died. But it was a moment when I finally had, I couldn't fit it into the movie because we had to keep the movie under a certain running time. But there was a moment in France where my wife sort of urged me to walk this trail called uh, Le Chemin de Nietzsche or the Nietzsche Way. It's the path Frederick Nietzsche used to walk every day up the mountain to a little village called Ez. And I walked it sort of begrudgingly and somewhere in the middle of that trip, that hike, I thought, I really like this. I guess I do like walking because in the movie I said I hated walking. But walking that, it was about halfway up. I thought, maybe I can go do this Camino. And so it was <laughs> that the yin yang showed up around the time I decided I'm going to do this Camino to honor my father. How wonderful. That's absolutely fantastic. So let's go to the film. Uh, we walk from here. Uh, let me just play a couple of seconds from the film. My Camino had not gone well. This is ridiculous. This is stupid. Why didn't I? Why did I decide to do this? This is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. I hurt my back yesterday. The pain was so bad, I was afraid I might not finish. I'm sick to my stomach. I'm really tired. Easily one of the worst nights I've ever had. I will not do this again. So this, the, the short film starts off with this great sense of excitement and anticipation, but really... About halfway through, you were completely fed up. We can hear it there. <laughs> the funny thing is, I started in Saria. So it wasn't even that long a Camino. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people I see on the message boards say, you know, I'm going over, I'm going to start in Saria. It's my first time. And I don't want to discourage anyone doing that, but I want them to be aware of what they're in for. Uh, if you watch the way and you see these developing families these camino families i didn't get that starting in saria because i'm only on this camino for six days you don't have and everybody you meet already has a family they firmly built these relationships so i went over there expecting this big romantic experience and a couple days in i realized what was going on and i said why the hell did i do this and i was very lonely there were a couple people that showed up i mean Joe showed up the first night. Uh, he's in the movie. He showed up to sort of save my ass, but um, but I didn't walk with him. He he walked faster and further than I wanted to walk. So it was very lonely, and I didn't decide to go back. As you know, in the movie, when I got to Santiago that first time, starting in Sorry, I didn't even walk to the cathedral. It didn't even feel like I had done anything real i just went to the hotel and slept and then went to see the camino as a, see the cathedral as a tourist and when i saw all the stuff going on in the obraduaro up there in front of the cathedral i thought these people got something out of this camino that i didn't get it's because i started in saria so i don't criticize anybody for starting in saria i just want them to know you're not going to get a really rich camino experience doing that Mostly, most people I've spoken with said that. But as my friend Jose in Pamplona says, if you start in Saria, it's not the last hundred kilometers. It's the first because most people who start in Saria want to come back and do a longer one. And that was my story. Yeah. Yeah. And so there you were back in Pamplona. Yeah. Tell us about that moment when you arrived in Pamplona to walk your second Camino and you realized, ah, oh, here we go again. I'm going to do it again. 
looking back, I, I kind of regret starting in Pamplona. I wish I'd gone ahead and started in Saint Jean because a lot of the people I became friends with did start in Saint Jean and that first those first few days coming over the Pyrenees are a very important part of the Camino as I understand. The reason I started in Pamplona is my friend Joe recommended it. He said he met a lot of people who started in Saint Jean who hurt themselves coming over the mountains and couldn't finish. So he said, if you, of course, Joe didn't realize how hard I was training. He was still sort of thinking I was the, the weak, unprepared guy from the yeah. Saria time in 2018. But I, I thought, well, I do want to finish. So I'll start in Pamplona. That's 700 kilometers. That's five weeks. You know, I, I do want to finish this time, but I want a full experience. And I, I got it. I, I've got to go back and walk the Pyrenees, though. Yeah, yeah. There's a line in the film, um, and I, I'd love you to to expand on it. Is the line "unbecoming something"? What does that mean? Unbecoming something. I actually self-published and wrote a novel called "Unbecoming," and it has a dual meaning in the the novel. You know, in in the American military, I w- I've never done the military, but I've heard the phrase uh, sometimes. Uh, a, a soldier will get punished for conduct unbecoming an officer, unbecoming, yeah, unbecoming a soldier or unbecoming an officer. In other words, your conduct is unbecoming. It's not, it's not what is expected of you in this role. You are not exhibiting the kind of behavior you should. But I also liked unbecoming because there's a quote to change is to grow and to grow is to go on creating yourself endlessly. So you're always becoming something uh you're always becoming something new we never we never stop changing till we die so you're always becoming something new but in order to become something new you have to unbecome the old version of yourself you have to pour out what's in the glass to pour the new into the glass and i'd heard somebody talking about that and i liked that and so i reached this point where it's like i don't even know what's happened to me today but i feel like i'm leaving pieces of old me of old matt on the side of the camino and i said i'm unbecoming myself it really felt that particular day was kind of hard and it was in the third week it was like i'm unbecoming myself i'm not going to be the same guy when i get home Mm. and and it was it was scary because i didn't know what i was going to become (laughs) yeah it's a really interesting aspect of the of the journey and we see that in the film I, I don't want to give away too much i want people to watch it it only goes for about 25 minutes but it is very heavily influenced by your family and your family's story what does your family make of matthew the pilgrim well sadly both my parents are gone my brothers were kind of blown away because they you know for most of my life i was the weak little kid they had to look out for and protect uh who was afraid to try new things and um both of them watched the film. Well, both of them followed me when I was on the Camino. And, of course, my oldest brother, Doug, wrote the music for the mm. for the film. But both of them were, were kind of blown away that, that I was the one doing it, you know. Um, my brother, Shane, the middle one, um, of course, he's, you know, he was very close to Dad as well, so the uh, aspects of our father on this Camino really resonated with him and affected him. But it, it's very bizarre. And this, this is, 
not to take too dark a turn here, but uh, my father died in 2012 and my mom lived for another four years. When she became very ill, she wanted home hospice. She wanted to die in her own home, in her own bed. And uh, so we went there and it was the night that she died. I was there and uh, my brothers were staying at a house down the street and my sister-in-law called Shane and said, uh, the nurse says your mom doesn't have long. Do you want to be here? And both of them said no, because it really freaked him out. And I said, oh, gosh, I guess I've got to be the brother that stays with mom at the end. So I did. And I'm not saying that to say I'm stronger than them or anything. It's just that was the strength I had to find because my brothers could not find it in that moment. And um, it was really strange because for most of my life, I was the weak one. I would be the one fleeing. You know, when my grandfather died, I, you know, ran out of the house as a little kid because I couldn't be close to the the idea that he was dead. Now here I was being fully present with my mom as she passed because it was scaring other members of my family. And, you know, when she took her last breath, I thought, okay, wow, you've got a new responsibility in this family now, which ultimately led to the Camino, I have to say, you know, Mm. it was just scary and intimidating, but. Yeah, what we see in the film is this extraordinary transformation, actually. And and I think you can't help but get the sense of how important your parents were to you and that maybe for a few years there you, you perhaps weren't the best son, but you tried to make amends for that. And I think you get that a very real sense of that journey and that pilgrimage. So I wanted to ask you what you learned about yourself on the Camino. Well, um, one of my catchphrases now uh, around my house, my family, with with my grandkids, with my friends is no effing excuses. Mm. Uh, There were moments on the Camino where I realized how many excuses I made in my life, how many times I quit on something because I couldn't. And surely in that second week, as you see on the video in the movie, I was so distraught and I thought, I'm going to tap out. And and I kept hearing the voices in my head saying, just quit, you know, fly down to the Riviera, just quit, you know, and spend a little time in the Riviera chilling. And something made me keep going. And really it was making my way to the, when I got to the Cruz de Ferro and then, uh, and then after Cruz de Ferro, I walked all the way to Ponferrada. So that was a long, long day. And when I got to the bottom and got was walking into Pomferrada, you know, I said to my video camera, because I have the whole Camino on YouTube, I said, I conquer mountains. Mm. <laughs> that was the moment I said, I, I can do anything. I, anything I want to do, I can do as long as I work at it and I don't make excuses. And that was powerful. That's a weird thing to learn at age 58, you know, because <laughs> that's kind of late life to figure that out. But I was... <laughs> I was sure overjoyed. Yeah, I'll bet. You can can see it in my face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely you can see it in your face. But as I said before, and we heard before, you also did it tough. There were days when you were absolutely furious. And I think, as I say, we talk about transformation and and, and great change, and the the short film is a great example of that. Just in terms of the film, um, you had a win just a couple of weeks ago at the Melbourne Short Film Festival. How delightful for you. The Melbourne Independent Filmmakers Festival, not to be confused with the one in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. They actually pronounce it Melbourne over here. But um, that festival was 
started 25 years ago and the movie theater that it's held at is locally owned and the person who, who basically bought the theater and built it his name is rob rob curris and he donated his theater for the festival every year and he great humanitarian very charitable person uh he died in a plane crash several years ago so they decided to make the highest honor of the festival would be called the rob curris uh Memorial Humanitarian Filmmaker Award, and it was for the film that exemplified his humanitarian goals and his humanitarian, uh, what the thing, the great things he did in life. You know, I went there uh, knowing that I had gotten a nomination for best short documentary, and I thought, well, that'd be cool if I got that. And they announced the best short documentary. It was not me, and I said, oh, okay. Well, the film that won best short documentary was very good i thought well they deserved it and then all i was talking to my friends and all of a sudden i heard him say matt can you come up here and say something about your movie and i didn't know what was going on but i went up there and then they bring that huge trophy out i don't get to keep it they engrave it they said it's like the stanley cup in hockey mm -hmm. in in north america they engrave your name on it in your film but i got to get photos holding it and uh and he said, it's the highest honor because your film exemplifies, you know, the humanitarian aspects of Robert, Rob Curris's life if they celebrated. So I, I, I was blown away. <laughs> I was really just stunned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a great achievement. It's a great piece of work. Tell us about the actual process. You filmed using two cameras. Did you go on the Camino thinking that you would make a short film about it or did you get home? And there's also some, some, some terrific kind of animation in it. Must've been quite the process to put it all together. The animation is just a hobby. And obviously it's, it, I, it's not as good a lot I've seen. When I walked the Camino, my wife and I had a, a travel channel on YouTube for a while where we would document our travels and give people travel tips. When I decided to walk the Camino, to me, it was a big thing. Both times I went. So I thought, I'm going to document this on my cameras and just and put them, put them all on YouTube as a series. So my whole show is on YouTube on the same uh, YouTube channel where my short film is. But that was the whole reason for taking all that footage. And uh, it's kind of fun to go back and visit it now and see those days hard and see those days that were great and... But, you know, I just do that because I love it's kind of kind of uh, nurtures my filmmaking uh, addiction, <laughs> you know, my desire to make films. Uh, the first time I ever attended the festival was last year, and I just attended as a spectator. I bought a pass and watched all the movies. And my wife said at the party afterwards, she said, you really look like you belong here. Why don't you make a movie to submit next year? I said, what should I do? And she goes, you have all that footage from the Camino, why don't you make a movie about the Camino? And of course, the gentleman that I met at the end, how he's sort of the uh, climax of of everything that leads up to it, you know? So I did. And the interesting thing about all that footage of me having meltdowns is I, when I got to the Camino, after about the first week, I stopped filming myself with the intent to make a YouTube channel. I just started using my camera as like a friend to vent to. and. <laughs> I was going to leave all of that out of my YouTube channel and 
the guy that wrote the Wise Pilgrim books says to me, I met him in Santiago and I told him about it. He said, put all that in. Everybody thinks the Camino is this big, you know, hunky dory, beautiful thing. And it is, but nobody realizes how hard it is. Put all the hard parts in. So that's where all that came from. And I think it's a very honest film as well. Um, you mentioned the the narrative about uh, the your father and a pilgrim called Daryl that you met. And I won't give away too much because, as I say, I want people to watch the film. Um, that was a very, very moving um, experience for you and I'm sure for him. Um, do you still t- stay in touch with him? Oh, yeah. Uh, he was going to try and make it down to the festival, but uh, he he was selling a house. <laughs> he was selling his house. So I, I sent him a video I put together of the experience and I sent him a, I texted him and told him that we won the award. And he, he and his wife, he said, my wife, he says, Bev and I are crying. <laughs> you know, we're crying when we heard this news. So yeah, yeah. that was nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful film. He's obviously a beautiful human being. I want you to tell us a Camino story. There must be a story there from, from one of your Caminos. I have one here uh, from uh, from the Camino, from the long Camino I walked, it is, and it actually occurs in two parts. But to me, this is how how the Camino rolls, really. But I mentioned uh, earlier Jose in Pamplona. Uh, he's a guy who has a podcast as well, uh, a Spanish gentleman who does a Camino podcast. And I had first met him on Instagram, through Instagram. He's just this, has this sweet, charming face and this, beautiful smile and i remember when i first became friends with him i showed my wife a picture of this guy said doesn't this look like the kind of guy you want to walk on the camino with when i went to pamplona to start uh he saw that i was there and he texted me said meet me and i'll show you around so we became friends that day he showed me pamplona the morning i left out of pamplona and this was my first day i got down all the way to like uh what is it cesar cesar manor i believe is what it is Mm -hmm. i said to myself what are you doing? Are you going to really walk 700 kilometers? What are, are you crazy? And I sat down on this against this fence and I said, you know, you don't have to walk all this. This is insane. Why don't you just, why don't you just tap out now and change your plane ticket, go down to the Riviera. Like I said, cause I have friends down in the Riviera and just hang out on the beach for a while. And I honestly was thinking that, and this jogger comes by and he stops and turns around and it's Jose. And I thought, oh my gosh, right when I'm ready to think. So, and on my YouTube video, as I'm walking away, I said, you know, that's a Camino angel. And I hope I get to be a Camino angel for somebody. Well, two days later, I was in uh, Astea and I was singing in the shower. And as I come out, you know, I get all cleaned up and I meet this guy. He says, I heard you singing David Bowie in the shower. I said, yeah. And he says, I said, I love David Bowie. He says, you know, I met a young German girl who said she was sitting in the woods about to quit. And then this guy with glasses came out of the woods singing Golden Years by David Bowie. And something about it made her decide to go on. (laughs) So, wow. Just because I was singing Golden Years that day, (laughs) kind of to keep myself encouraged. So I go, wow, I was trying to encourage myself and I didn't realize it, but I was encouraging somebody else to go on just by doing what I do. (laughs) And you think about it, you think how many throughout our life, how many people have we encouraged 
when we're in a good positive state, but also how many people have we discouraged that we don't know about when we've been in a negative state? And it reminds me to be in that, to push that positivity forward as much as I can. The only reason I was seeing golden years is because I was like, how the hell am I going to get up this hill? So I started saying the first song that came to my head just to get myself up that hill. So that's cool. You know, you carry it forward on the Camino. Oh, you sure do. And you carry it forward with your short film, We Walk From Here. Congratulations, Matthew. I loved it. I love the short film. It's honest. It's raw. It's brutal at times. Mm. And it made me laugh and it made me cry. I thoroughly enjoy it. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And I hope our paths cross one of these days. Who knows? It might be a surprise meeting on the Camino. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dan. I really enjoyed talking to you. Buen Camino. Buen Camino Peregrino. My guest this week was the American pilgrim Matthew Krauss, and you can find Matthew's short film, We Walk From Here, on YouTube. Just Google it or search YouTube, Matthew Krauss, K-R-A-U-S-E, We Walk From Here. I said I had a surprise for you at the end of the podcast. Well, Matthew's film finishes with a song. It's a song he wrote and performed, and It's how we're going to sign off this week because we could all do with a little music in our lives at the moment. Khalil Gibran said, Music is the language of the spirit. It opens the secret of life, bringing peace, abolishing strife. Thanks again to my new Patreon sponsors, Eleanor and Jennifer. You can sponsor me for as little as the price of a cafe con leche per month. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. Thanks for your company. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. We're on the road to Santiago We're on the road to find ourselves We're on the road to Santiago We're on the road to make things well Every step you take, every friend you make Every time you say to yourself This was all a mistake inside There's no place to hide from all the times You've lied to yourself So just return to the wilderness Return to the wilderness Turn the page on the first book you've ever read Return to the will, 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 return to the